Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Was Shakespeare influenced by Galileo and Copernicus? Did he bring the new ideas of science at the time into his works? It's an interesting idea, isn't it? In his plays, William Shakespeare often refers to objects visible in the night sky. He talks about stars and planets and comets and meteors. He makes great use of astronomical imagery. But... What did William Shakespeare know about the astronomical thoughts of his own time, a time when science as we know it today was only just really coming into existence? Did he, directly or indirectly, bring those new ideas of science into his works? According to Canadian science journalist and author Dan Falk, the answer is yes. He is currently the journalist in residence at the University of New South Wales Engineering Faculty. Dan Falk, welcome to Open House. Oh, thanks so much for having me. You know, I can't uh, start an interview about Shakespeare and whether he was interested in science without asking you this old question. Who was Shakespeare? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Uh, I mean, and you know, there are a lot of people out there who wonder if Shakespeare was really Shakespeare, that is to say, people think he was some, someone else. I'll, I'll leave that aside for a moment, but, but here's what we know. Um, he was uh, a actor and um, uh, a playwright, of course, mm-hmm. and a poet, and a businessman who ran uh, an acting company and eventually became reasonably wealthy from it, enough to buy some real estate uh, back in his hometown of uh, Stratford-upon-Avon in Warwickshire uh, in England. Um, and he left us these magnificent dramatic works and, and poems and sonnets as well. Uh, but, of course, there is a lot about him that has a bit of a question mark. I mean, we don't have surviving manuscripts. We don't have letters written by him or to him. We don't have diaries. So there's, you know, obviously there are things that we wish we had to fill in some yes. of the blanks, but, but historians are, you know, have a pretty good picture <laughs> of, of who Shakespeare was. He must have been an amazing fellow because while we don't have a lot of other things, what we do have is some of the finest literature ever written in the English language. And um, his insights into human nature and the way of the world are so deep um, that you know, the more you study them, the richer they become. So he must have been in his time um, the most extraordinarily interesting human being. Oh, I imagine he was. And, you know, so much has been written about Shakespeare. We try to piece together the various clues. And, of course, people comb through his published works to, you know, looking for insights into how his mind worked and that sort of thing. And, of course, as I sat down to research the science of Shakespeare, the the first thing I had to ask myself was, well, maybe there's nothing more to say. Maybe maybe everything you could possibly say about Shakespeare. I, when I go to my local university library back home in Toronto, there's just shelf after shelf. I suppose hundreds of books about Shakespeare. So has everything been said? But I started to kind of probe this question, you know, what, how much might Shakespeare have known about scientific developments, things that were going on in astronomy or other branches of science 400 years ago? And I sort of decided, actually, maybe there's more. Maybe there is a little bit more that could be said. A, a kind of a, an angle or a, a, a slice of Shakespeare that, that we might not be so familiar with. Well, I, look, I'm glad you've asked the question, because it, when you think about it, it makes perfectly good sense. Someone with that level of intelligence, who's that connected, and also savvy enough to start a business and invest in property and be successful, uh, well, of course he's going to be interested in the newest ideas that people like... Um, uh, well, 400 years ago, the scientists of the day um, were were um, were trotting around. So you went looking in his you went looking in his works for ideas that he might be um, 
he might be in that world. What did you find? Yeah, so <clears throat> so I uncovered a few interesting things, and, and of course, in many cases, you know, I should just explain, I'm not a Shakespeare scholar by profession, I don't have a PhD in this field, but I'm a journalist, and what I am pretty good at doing is rummaging through books and articles and kind of pull, pulling things together and um, pulling things together that people might not have known uh, go together. So that's kind of what I did yeah. uh, for this. And, and so, for example, um, Copernicus had published his his uh, kind of groundbreaking uh, revolutionary work uh, uh, describing that the sun, not the earth, is the center of, well, what we would now call the solar system. In those days, it was just, it was the world. It was everything. It mm. was their, their universe. Now, Copernicus was already dead uh, for about 20 years by the time Shakespeare was born. It's kind of natural to ask, did he have any awareness of it? Was he interested? What do you think? And here's the thing. He doesn't tackle it head on. If he, if he sort of had an opinion about this, if, if one of his characters in one of his plays said, I think Copernicus was right about the sort. Well, you know, then, <laughs> then we would already know it. We yes, well, one thing we all, yeah, we all remember from, no. from high school that Shakespeare doesn't yeah. write that simply. No, no, indeed he doesn't. So there's a lot of metaphor and analogy and sort of flowery language that is open to different interpretations. Yeah. But if you poke around a bit, um, there's uh, the opening scene from Hamlet, uh, there's a brief discussion of a, a certain star that is in a certain position relative to the, the pole star, the north star, visible from the northern hemisphere. And scholars have sort of debated, well, what star could that be? You know, And I found an article written by actually uh, an astronomer, uh, not a Shakespeare scholar, suggesting and actually giving a pretty good argument that it could have been um, a supernova. Uh, we, we call it Tycho star. It's named after Tycho Brahe, the Danish astronomer. Oh, yeah. And it sort of it, it exploded into view in uh, the autumn of 1572 when Shakespeare was a little kid, and maybe this the the appearance of this thing stuck with him. And other historians had written about it, and Shakespeare could have read their accounts when he was sitting down to write uh, uh, Hamlet in in 1600. So you know, is it proof that he? You know, no, of course it doesn't prove, but it's it's suggestive that Shakespeare was aware. Of some of these, cha- you know, the ancient Greek view was that the sky shouldn't be changing. There shouldn't even be new stars appearing. The heavens were supposed to be perfect and fixed. But if if this really happened, if a new star can appear in the sky, then maybe other things that the ancients thought <laughs> might also be wrong. And yeah. and so yeah, so that's one case. And I I uncover a few other interesting cases like that. Well, that that's astronomy. What about uh, the physical sciences? Yeah, so there it's, it's a little bit more thorny. I mean, the thing we have to remember is that the distinctions between the sciences as we have them now, uh, chemistry, uh, physics, biology, uh, geology, I mean, these distinctions didn't really exist in Shakespeare's time because all of it was new. Um, and also, science wasn't really science. That is to say, it was just beginning to distinguish itself from the other stuff, uh, philosophy on the one hand, which is what scholars who, who studied at university would, would be, uh, would have some expertise at, mm. and the other stuff that was in the popular culture, um, magic, astrology, witchcraft, things like this, which today, mm. of course, we don't consider science. But, but this, is, this is what makes it so interesting and also so challenging, is that these things were all sort of muddled together in Shakespeare's time. Uh, so it's, it's just really interesting to... I mean, as I said earlier, many of the things that Shakespeare says about, let's say, for example, astrology, 
you know, did Shakespeare believe in astrology? Which, if he did, we could say, oh, well, he must have been an old-fashioned, foolish, foolish person. Mm. But in those days, astrology and astronomy were just becoming separate, separate from each other. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting to, to dive into it. And, and to see, to try to figure out what he really thought. Yes, and also his interest um, in alchemy and the references to uh, to sort of, you know, witches' brews and all of that sort of stuff. It seems, yes. is it reasonable to, um, is it reasonable to expect, therefore, that he was writing something that was on the minds of people? Because he was writing popular plays. This was for entertainment. So with the new sciences emerging of mixing stuff together and seeing what happened would would that have been the currency one of the currencies of the time well very much so i think uh, so this is a good point that he was writing for you know the the groundlings who had paid one penny Hmm. uh, to stand on the the floor of the globe (laughs) theater but also for dukes and earls and and of course he played before the court which means he had to entertain uh first queen elizabeth and later king james um so that's a lot of intellectual ground to cover, um, and I, I don't think he wanted to baffle his audience. I mean, when he was alluding to stars or planets or eclipses, he had to write about these things in a way that anyone could understand. Um, now, I just wanted to say one other thing about the, the changing view of the world, because you mentioned physics. So an idea that was, I think, quite new at the time was a, kind of a a mechanistic worldview, the idea that hmm. that the universe is somehow a little bit like a machine. Like a and machine, you, yes. You, hmm. Yeah, and you, you poke it in one place and something will happen over there. And it's, it, this is kind of new. And, and um, the, you know, the older view was that the universe is a bit more, uh, if I can use a big word for a second, um, animistic, that it was <laughs> somehow infused with, I don't know, it's, that the universe had a soul or something like that. Mm-hmm. And... I think what's so fascinating is that the the old world view was just gradually beginning to give way to the newer world view, and uh, you know, in places like King Lear, you, the characters themselves kind of hash this out and and sort of argue about it, which I think is really interesting. That's very cool. Well, Dan, you're a Canadian journalist, and you're at the moment in the middle of this period as the um Ingenuity Fellow, which is a journalist in residence program, embedded, you're, an, you're embedded, that's what you are, embedded yeah. in an engineering faculty at the University of New South Wales. What does a journalist in residence do in, a, in an engineering faculty and what, how does it benefit the engineers? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, well, so basically, since I've been here, I've been here about 10 days so far with another 10 days to go, um, I've been talking to lots of engineers and, and scientists about their research uh, and hopefully it benefits everyone involved. Uh, so I benefit by learning about their work and hopefully eventually, you know, writing about it. Or, I mean, even if I don't write specifically about their work, it'll inform uh, articles and uh, I do radio work as well, et cetera. So things I write in the future will be informed by this. And hopefully it's good for for the professors and the faculty members and maybe even the graduate students and everybody else because, uh, you know, I can help to spread the word about the fascinating and really groundbreaking research done at uh, UNSW. So ho- hopefully it's good for everyone involved. Well, hopefully we'll hear some of that on your own podcast, which is called Book Lab. But for today, thank you so much for speaking with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot. <laughs> That's uh, Dan Falk. He is a journalist from Canada. And the, uh, what was that phrase? Journalist in residence at the University of New South Wales School of Engineering, which um, which is really interesting. He says that he was at a... Uh, he was at a 
conference somewhere and they went over and they presented that they wanted people to apply to be journalists in residence and uh, he couldn't believe his luck. A trip to Sydney? Sounds fantastic. Uh, it's all in aid of, um, I suppose, is it for humanising journalists, uh, engineers? Did I just say that? I think I just did say humanising engineers. Anyway, Dan's giving his illustrated talk of the science of Shakespeare in Sydney on the 7th of November, my wife's birthday, at 6.30pm at the AGSM building. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.